Chapter 12 of Energy and Vibration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter van Diest. Nature's Miracles, Volume 2 Energy and Vibration by Elisha Gray. Chapter 12 Sound Language. By sound language we mean such sounds as convey a specific meaning but are not articulate. Articulate speech is an assembling of words with arbitrary meanings and used to convey ideas from one person to another. These meanings have no relation necessarily to the sounds of the words. In fact, many words having the same sounds have different meanings in different languages. Different races of people shut up by themselves have developed different artificial languages along lines having definite trends that are the result of a fixed condition of things for a long period of time. These human articulate languages, and that of some birds, are all artificial. But there is a natural language, common to all races and peoples and to most of the lower animals, that conveys a meaning, though not in all cases so definitely, or with such fine shading, as articulate language, although in many instances it is more powerful in its effects. This sound language takes advantage of a fundamental law laid down in a previous chapter that determines the quality of all sounds, namely the relation that the overtones sustain to the fundamental tone in the matter of number, amplitude, etc. For example, if a certain voice, when it expresses grief, contains a thousand overtones related in a certain way, a voice expressing anger may have two thousand related in a different way. I do not mean to say that these numbers do express the difference, but only that there is a difference in numbers and relation in the two cases between the overtones and the fundamental tone. The same fundamental tone may be used in both cases, but there will be a vast difference in the number and relation of the overtones. Who has not heard the cry of a mother bird when it has said to you plainly, Help, help, somebody or something is disturbing my nest. You instantly recognize the voice as one of distress, and although you do not see, you know that it is a bird in distress, and if you are a kind-hearted person, you will run to see if you cannot relieve it. Perhaps a few minutes later you hear the glad song of the same mother, telling you that all is well with the bird and that she is happy. Who has not, when sitting by his fireside on a dark night, Listen to the howling and moaning, the sobbing and sighing of the wind, and the patter of the rain, and was not told in a voice more expressive than articulate speech that a storm was raging outside. There is a sense of sadness that comes with the moaning and sighing of the wind that differs from other sounds of nature. The waves of the sea, as they dash against the rocks and break and fall over and through each other, tell us a story of great power accompanied by a go-as-you-please, don't-care, jolly sort of feeling. The sea is a jovial comrade. He laughs wherever he goes. His merriment shines in the dimpling lines that wrinkle his hale repose. He lays himself down at the feet of the sun and shakes all over with glee, and the broad-backed billows fall faint on the shore in the mirth of the mighty sea. But the wind is sad and restless and cursed with an inward pain, you may hark as you will by valley or hill, and you hear him still complain. He wails on the barren mountains and shrieks on the wintry sea. 
He sobs in the cedar and moans in the pine and shudders all over the aspen tree. It is said that even the mosquito is equipped with a sort of horn-like process called the antennae that is movable and vibrates whenever a tone in sympathy with its natural rate of vibration is sounded in his presence, and it is further asserted that his mate only possesses the magic instrument that will produce the proper tone. We do not vouch for the truth of the foregoing, but we do know that the mosquito is a jolly fellow, for he sings as he goes to his meals. Mrs. A. and Mrs. B. are visiting in the parlour. Their babies are asleep in a room upstairs. Suddenly a complicated air motion comes shivering down the stairway, which gives Mrs. A. a start, while Mrs. B. remains quiet. The former exclaims, Oh, my baby! and runs to him. Why did Mrs. A. start and not Mrs. B.? Because they both knew by the quality of voice which baby it was. Directly the babes are both awake and are playing happily together. The mothers hear them and know they are happy. Hark! there is another cry, and Mrs. B. runs. She knows that it is not only her child, but that the child is in pain. It has been hurt. The child told its mother in a voice that was unmistakable that it was in pain. If the child had been a recently imported Hottentot, he would have told the same story in the same way, under the same circumstances. This same natural method is resorted to by the child to tell its mother of grief, hunger or fright, and of the presence of any of the other emotions. All the multitudinous sounds of nature have a meaning. The humming of the insect, the cry of the child, the song of the birds, the moaning of the winds and the dashing of the waves all tell a story of their own. If a man who had never seen the Niagara Falls should be blindfolded and taken there without knowing where he was to be taken, and then should be asked where he was, he would say, I do not know the name of the place, but I am near a mighty waterfall. The voice of many waters would speak to him in thunder tones that could not be mistaken. There is a poetic power in this sound language that never comes with articulate speech because articulate words convey concrete ideas that rob the language of much that would otherwise be poetic. Natural sound voices stimulate the imagination far more intensely than the most poetically arranged articulate words. End of chapter 12